The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Hello, everyone. My name is John Howell. I am the former teaching pastor of Grace Church of Dunedin, and it is my privilege and honor to participate in this week's Setting the Record Straight with Reconstructionist Radio. Let me just start off here. Um, I need to stop saying um, first of all, so y'all can pray for me on that. Kinism. Let's just say it. This is what I'm talking about today. This will not be uh, an attempt to completely deconstruct and debate everything about kinism. It's pretty deep and detailed. I will say this, though. It is founded not upon scripture, not upon the gospel, but more of a Darwinian approach to, uh, to, def- to defining the human being, a secular approach more of an enlightenment understanding of race and um, it needs to be it needs to be resisted. So the first thing about kinism that I would like to get into is it, it needs to be said for some reason, but Jesus was a Jew. He was a Jew. Peter Hammond, I've recently been listening to a lot of Peter Hammond. Now let me stop here. I believe that False teachers who teach publicly need to be exposed publicly, especially as one who is publicly speaking myself. As a pastor and an elder um, here on this podcast before, before an audience, whoever will be listening, I must warn you about Peter Hammond. He is a heretic. I'm going to demonstrate that a little bit here uh, today. I don't take that lightly. I've never actually come out publicly in my entire life which might be wrong, might be right, but I've never publicly mentioned a guy's name and said he was a heretic in public. From, from the pulpit like this, um, maybe I've said some things about um, different like televangelists like Creflo Dollar. I have mentioned him before and things like that. But I usually don't spend too much time focused on them in my ministry because what they say really has not much relevance uh, to, to do much harm with, with my community, with, with who I deal with. Peter Hammond, however, as a kinist, uh, is very dangerous. Kinism is very, very dangerous. It is a doctrine, it is a, ra- it is, it is a form of racism, first of all, that seems to live within the camp of Christianity. Uh, uh, more specifically, the recon camp claims to be reconstructionist and things, and yet has the potential, and if not checked, the ability to burn this thing to the ground, which all false teaching has that danger, right? This is why false teaching is to be dealt with uh, severely and quickly. This is what it means to love, in tr- to, to deal in truth and love, to live in truth and love means that when we have an outlandish, obvious heresy like kinism, it needs to be s- struck down. It needs to be dealt with, reacted to. The sheep need to be protected. The people of God need to be warned. 
And I take my vocation seriously, my vocation to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to warn them of wolves, and to help them in any way that I can fulfill their calling, as, as, as we are all members of the family of God. We are all a priest, members of a priesthood, right, of believers. So Jesus was indeed a Jew. Let's get back to this. Um, real briefly, let's do a quick survey of the Gospels. Let's just pick Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, Matthew makes certain claims about this man, Jesus. We see in his genealogy, in the beginning of Matthew, the claim that he's making just with his genealogy is that Jesus is greater than all of these. Jesus is greater than the greatest hero, the greatest person you can think of in Jewish history, in Israel's history. Jesus is greater than them. This is also one of the main messages that Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews, gets, a, gets across to us. Jesus is the greater Moses. Paul wants us to understand that Jesus is the new Adam. He's better than Adam. He's the new Adam, and in and, and, and the new Adam, we have life. So in Matthew, Matthew gives this genealogy. I think another, another thing we can gather from Matthew's genealogy is that Jesus also comes from all types of people. There are some rather unseedy, not very pious, righteous people in that list either. And so Jesus comes from humanity. He's, he's not coming from just this pure righteous line. He's coming from a depraved people, as we all are. We are all broken. And, in, and Israel seemed to forget this all the time. Israel was called to be this light on a hill, this city on a hill, and yet it always failed. Why? Because it was in need of light itself. It was called to be the means through which God would restore the cosmos, but it needed restoration and rescue themselves. So Matthew, um, not just in his genealogy, but throughout, throughout his gospel, is making this claim about Jesus, making different claims about Jesus. And let's get back to it. So one of the, main, one of the things that Matthew demonstrates through his gospel, and how he, particularly in how the narrative is structured, is that Jesus is the Israel in person. Jesus is the Israel in person. What do I mean by that? The prophets, the covenant, cried out for the restoration of Israel. Israel, time and time again, would take their vocation. They would seem, sometimes they would seem to be serious about it, and then they would fail. They would be called to do something, to be true, to be the people of God, and then fall into idolatry. They would fall into harlotry, to where God even has to tell his people, I'm issuing you a certificate of divorce. <laughs> right? So... Israel was not faithful. They were, they were faithless. They, they were not mighty. They, they, they oftentimes were, uh, were cowardly. For example, when, when the great giant from Gath is crying out and mocking God and mocking the people, it took, a, it took a young David who wasn't necessarily a weakling. He was already a, known for being a man of valor. But it took this one young man to say, no, I'm not going to let this, I'm not gonna let this, this giant from Gath scare us and, and cause us to cower and need to you know and we we the rest is history we we know that the uh the story that that particular thing ends with david holding that giant's head over his you know pretty messy actually not 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 exactly how the children's story goes is it <laughs> um so jesus is the israel in person let me demonstrate this in matthew let me turn there let me show a few things here um one thing that comes to mind in matthew that demonstrates matthew's claim that jesus is the israel in person I'll uh, just do a couple for the sake of time, because this is not actually what my main point is. 
um, we see that Jesus is, he, he has to flee to Egypt. Like Moses, he is uh, in danger of his life from a tyrant trying to kill him as a baby. We see that like Israel, he comes out of Egypt. He comes out of Egypt. Like Israel, he goes through the water. John's baptism, he goes through the water of John's baptism, whereas Israel went through the water of the sea. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days, whereas Israel's in the wilderness for 40 years. Very interesting and encouraging is while Jesus is in his wilderness experience, he is attacked by Satan. He is tempted by Satan, but he overcomes Satan. He is faithful and victorious where Israel failed and was faithless. That's quite interesting. Uh, we see that um, Jesus, let's see, he delivers, he delivers his, his campaign speech, in a, in a sense, the law from the, from, from, from the, from the mount we see with the, the Mount of Olives, where it, which definitely should bring, in our, it should bring us back to Moses at Mount Sinai. Um, especially when Jesus reestablishes or recapitulates the law of God and it's true, the true way it's to be interpreted, the true way that it's supposed to be heard and understood, and, and so on and, and, and so on. Jesus is the Israel in person, according to Matthew. Jesus is a Jew. Jesus comes from the womb of a Jewish woman. He grows up as a Jewish boy in temple and, and, and in probably going through the same, definitely going through the same schooling and things. He is a Jewish rabbi. Who does things very differently? Definitely, he he doesn't wait for the best of the best, right? Of he doesn't wait for the for, for the graduates. He goes and finds some fishermen and calls them to be fishers of men to 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 work with him in in the kingdom and to in a sense share the spoils or, or to participate with him in in, in all that the kingdom uh, offers, both the both the the hard and and the and the good. So Jesus is a Jew. The kinism, particularly Peter Hammond's kinism, needs to deny that Jesus is a Jew to make sense of his statements where he blames the Jews for basically everything that's wrong with the world. He has a very, him and Hitler ideologically are pretty close when it comes to the Jews. The Jews are the problem, which is interesting. The, the Jews, it's because the Jews, because they're greedy, because they're money, that they get this and that. Um, Peter Hammond's even within the past year his his interviews which we can probably have links to some of these definitely they've been the the link these links have been uh, floating around uh, Reconstructionist Radio Facebook my Facebook if you guys have any questions you can re reach out to me and I'll I'll give you episodes that you can listen to but he he blames the Jews for everything he denies that the Jews were 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 uh, Holocaust he he denies the Holocaust he says that Jews left Germany <laughs> I don't I mean kind of a joking thing I don't know why it would be funny but he kind of jokes and says that the Jews they weren't hunted by the the third right they by the Nazis they left because Hitler took away their porn their pornography things like that pretty radical uh, kind of disgusting terrible things to say not just because they're offensive to ears but because it, it they're lies and we all know where lies come from. So a very, uh, a very sinful anal uh, historical analysis there. So one point against kinism, Jesus was indeed a Jew. Now, why do I say this? It's, I want to uh, quote Charles Hodge, theologian Charles Hodge. In regard to the nature of Christ's resurrected body, there is indubitable evidence that it was identical with the body which expired upon the cross. Let me read... Let me read um, Let's see. 
I think that's okay. That other quote is kind of I'll wait for that one. All right. So Charles Hodge and other theologians. Lorraine Bettner is another one um, that's really uh, B.B. Warfield. Actually, any any theologian, reformed theologian that gets into the nitty gritty of the resurrection has a similar statement. And I can't. I had a list of them all. Okay, I will find it. Um, but so we see that Charles Hodge, reformed theology, understands that resurrection is not a mere reanimation of the body. Resurrection is the restoration of the cosmos. Restoration is the justice of God fully displayed in the world. You see, the world that is broken now wasn't created as broken, and it will not be broken for long. This is not the way things that were intended to be. God is moving and working. He is a good king. If he is a good king, if he is truly just, if he is worthy of the title, worthy of our worship, he will not be a punk. He's not just going to let Satan slither in as a serpent uninvited into his creation, spread sin and break everything, and not do anything about it. He's going to take it back. Uh, side note, this is where dispensationalism can, can be quite ridiculous. To, that, that this world is like, a, like a, a John MacArthur, Dr. John MacArthur said once, that this world is a sinking ship. It's going down. I don't, I'm not worried about the color or repainting the, the deck. Well, all due respect, Dr. MacArthur, that's wrong. That's just not biblical. This world is not a sinking ship. This world is maybe a garden that's overrun. Right? This world is maybe maybe a maybe a dirty field that though has a treasure hidden in it that when that it's worth buying the field to get that treasure. Right? It, this this world belongs to God. It is a very good creation, Genesis one, and that's never changed. It's just because something breaks doesn't mean it's no longer good. God is fixing it. Even the immense evil and depravity, God's grace is bigger. His grace is greater. God's power is greater. And he is working in the world. This is why the gospel, according to Romans 1, is the righteousness of God, the restorative justice of God in the world. It is the justice. It is God working and moving. It is, it is his power displayed. So the resurrection is very important to get right. Because the resurrection is God's justice displayed. Jesus, in 1 Corinthians 15, is the first fruits. Just the first fruits of the resurrection that we have to look forward to. And the resurrection of Christ means that a new world has come. Death is no longer the main problem. Death is no longer something that can sting and bite and kill. It has been swallowed up, Paul says, as he seems to mock death itself. And if sin and death have been defeated by Christ, as evidenced by the resurrection of Jesus, the victory of Jesus on the cross, then what's that say about the lesser powers, both earthly and spiritual? Romans 1, they've been defeated as well. And so we see that Christ is raised in the spirit of holiness for what? For the result being the, the obedience of the nations. Bringing, bringing our attention back to Isaiah 2, this mountain of the Lord that's above, that's higher than all the other mountains and all the nations are streaming up it. Wanting to walk in the light of Jacob, the liberty, the life, the love that is God's law. The law that David laid in bed at night, delighting over, delighting in, and singing over. The resurrection promises us and demonstrates to us that this is the reality we live in now. This is my hope. This is why I can stand against tyrant and disease 
This is why I can stand against persecution, oppression. This is why I can stand against bad days and good days. I can stand firm in joy because Christ is resurrected. Now, in, back to Charles Hodge, in regard to the nature of Christ's resurrected body, there is indubitable evidence that it was identical with the body which expired upon the cross. And I just want to talk about that evidence real quick. Um, I want to read all, Charles Hodge is a beast in this regard. So let's, uh, for one, we see that Jesus was recognized by his disciples, both the, both the women and the men who, who saw the resurrected Jesus. And Paul says he appeared to quite a few people, right? Even, even hundreds at once at one time. But everyone who saw him, they didn't go, they didn't go away saying, wow, that guy was kind of cool. Who was that? No, they knew who it was. This is, why, this is why the church movement, this is why the gospel movement in first century, even though their leader was crucified by Rome as a political enemy, exploded and grew. Even the Roman Empire itself could not stop or topple the gospel of Jesus. The church prevailed because Christ resurrected, because he was recognized. He was recognized by them. He was touched by them. Even the scars from the nails were still in his body. We see that he ate fish. That he ate food with them. And there was some crazy stuff too that he obviously there's something different about him. He could go through walls. He could disappear. Things like that. Because um, in this, and I believe this is connected with what Paul says in Corinthians about the two natures. Like there's a sinful, like the body is corruptible right now, but there will be raised to an incorruptible. It, it, it's almost as if um, I had one professor explain it like this, that there's this idea that, that the physical body, the resurrection will, the resurrection is the body being changed and transformed to perfectly, to be perfectly suited for the new reality, for the, for eternity, for the new heavens and the new earth. That gets me excited. That gets me riled up. I don't know about you, but that gets me uh, full of hope. That post mill, let's do this. Let's do the work. Jesus was recognized. Jesus ate food. Jesus was resurrected. He was still Jesus. He was still, he was still recognizable. He's the first fruits. That's waiting for me. Let's do this. But here's something else that we need to understand. In, in light of kinism saying that Jesus wasn't a Jew, Jesus was a Jew. I think we've demonstrated that both from Matthew's narratological claims, uh, from his birth in Mary, his, his upbringing as a Jewish boy, his... He was, he was not some blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Aryan dude walking in the Middle East. That's just not what Jesus was. He was Middle Eastern. He was a brown man. And what we see here is that Jesus still being resurrected, he was still, resu- he was still recognized in his resurrected state as what? A brown man. A Middle Eastern. A Jewish man. To where we've seen other theologians say that God will forever, for all eternity, be known with, will be seen with a human face. And we have to acknowledge this if we're going to be true to the Nicene Creed. If we're going to be true to our, our orthodoxy, Jesus is 100% God, 100% human. Is he not? Jesus, being completely divine from all eternity past, became a, became a baby became a man, incarnated, God with us, came in flesh, dwelt among us, and he will always have that flesh. He will always have that skin. Jesus will always be a Jew. Always. Kinism doesn't like that. That's fine. I mean, not liking something is no excuse to deny the truth of something. So let's let's continue to move on. Um, so we see that 
if Jesus is a Jew and Kinism said he's not, one other thing that we another thing that we really need to talk about is is this idea of race. God did not create people separated. He didn't create one race and then later create another race. He didn't create a lesser race or a good race. He created Adam and Eve, and from Adam and Eve we see that humanity came. This is Orthodox Christianity. And a lot of you are like, John, this is get to the point. I'm about to turn this off. I know this. This is 101 Sunday school stuff. Well, let's look at where races came from. Where did races come from? The Tower of Babel we see in Genesis chapter 11. I'm just going to read this real quick. Starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible, I'll give you a few seconds. Go ahead and grab it. Or turn in your app or, or whatever. All right. So the, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the, cat, from, from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bit, bitten them for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left, they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because the Lord there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. The author wants us to understand, first of all, that this is all, all of humanities together in this place. It must have been a pretty crazy thing to see the civilization getting built by the early humans on the earth. They all had one language. This, they all had one culture. One culture. They were building together. Now, this is a beautiful thing in and of itself. This is how humanity was created to be. A unified community, building cities and, and things. This is not a bad thing. But sin always breaks things. Sin can take... That, isn't that what sin does? Sin takes a good creation, a good thing that God has made, and it's abused. So alcohol can... Alcohol, which is a good thing when abused, can break up families. Sex, which is a good thing, is one of the most destructive things when it's abused. And so on and so on. Food is a great thing, but there's a sin called gluttony. Building, being unified together, being unified together and building cities together is a good thing. But there's one problem. Their motivation what were they doing it for? Come, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. That's, a, that's one of the scariest statements in Scripture. When you really look into what they were saying. They are building a tower up to heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves. It's not the tower that would give them a name. It was them. It, basically, they had, like, a lot of theologians believe they had this idea that they could build this tower up to heaven and therefore become the gods themselves. This is the promise. This lie of the serpent is still strong in the hearts of men. They're, they're still building and working 
It, it started off with eating a fruit, and here it is manifesting itself in a tower being built. The late, great R.C. Sproul, whom I love. I know there's a lot of different opinions on him, but I would not be where I am without him. Um, I had the privilege of, of, of having a few personal conversations with him as a younger man. And um, one time in a sermon, he talked about how he was so depraved before Christ that if he had the opportunity, he would, he would march into the throne room of God himself and tear him from that throne and sit there at, at, and, and himself sit there. And then he turns to the audience, to me listening, and says, if we're honest with what the scriptures say about our depravity, then I'm not alone. And so I see that here in the Tower of Babel, that there's this idea of this, this rebellious desire to, to be the authority. And this is, this is the problem with humanity, even to this day. We all know we all struggle with that. Don't say you don't. We all do. It's all good. God's grace covers. Let's repent of that. But we and we all recognize we're, we're, when we're out evangelizing, when we're fighting for the for the unborn, when 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 we're as a pastor, when I'm counseling a couple, when it, it all comes back to this idea, like all all these problems that we have, ultimately come back to this. Still, this I still believe the lie for some reason. It's still deeply rooted in my heart. I need God's grace daily to fight it, to resist it. As John Owen said, "Be killing sin, or we'll be killing you." And so, in dealing with kinism, the Tower of Babel d- demonstrates and proves that the races came because of sin. God scattered the one world culture over the entire earth because they sought to make a name for themselves. That's why there's different cultures in the world. And we see that if we, if we understand that that sin is what brought, a, brought that about. The gospel is in the business of reversing curses. The gospel is in the business of making things right. And so where there used to, where there, like for example, in Romans 3 and 4, Paul is talking to two groups of people in one church, reminding them that, yes, Jews, you needed to be exodused from the law. Yes, Gentiles, you need to be exodused from your idolatry. But guess what? It's the same thing. And if you be in Christ, you've both been exodused from sin, and now you are one humanity, one people. There's no longer the, the, the two categories, Jew and Gentile. Now it is, there is a third option, the new humanity of God, the new Israel. All who have faith in Jesus are members of the household of faith, priesthood, a nation of priests. Stones, living stones, Come together to make a holy house. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what happens to us. So I'm no longer, it's no longer a black thing or a white thing or a Hispanic thing or an African thing or an American thing. It comes down to the fact that no matter where you are on earth, no matter what your culture used to be, no matter what your skin color is, no how much you have in the bank, God has called you to become one family in his son. This is what makes racism so stupid. And this idea of kinism, even more ignorant for thinking that it's intellectual. Kinism thinks that it has covenant right when it actually denies it completely. Kinism thinks that they have the gospel right when all they do is redefine it. Kinism thinks they know science when they're stuck in the 1800s, not understanding anything about genetics. 
They, they can't even get World War II right. And they're too close to us for us not to deal with them. They're too close to us for us not to deal with them. We are commanded by scripture to deal with false teachers and false teaching quickly and swiftly. We must protect the people. We must do this. I This is very rare for me. I'm not a heretic hunter, guys. That's, like Many of you know me, know, know that that's, that's just not my, my cup of tea. But I'll tell you this, the, the, the community I minister to, as a hip-hop artist and as doing shows and, and, and being on the streets in St. Pete and in Tampa, if there's even a hint or even a rumor that I'm a Kenist or that I tolerate Kenism and racism, my ministry is done. It's done. And I'm not alone in that. Anyone, anyone, any of you who are comfortable and okay with being associated with Kenism and with heresy, I want you to understand that your, your, your ministry is, is at stake. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous game to play. And so we are. So I stand against heresy, not because I don't like it, even though I don't. But I want people to hear the gospel when I'm when I'm when I'm pleading for the life of an unborn child. I don't want any distractions. I want the gospel to be heard. Lives are at stake. Lives are at stake. We have too much to lose, people. Beloved brothers, sisters, we need to get a handle on this. I, I want to commend Dr. Joe McDermott, um, someone I've really, really come to respect over the years and, and personally has been a great encouragement to me. But his, his recent writing on the, 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 the line in the sand that we need, please read that if you haven't already. If you've read it, reread it again in, in, in light of this urgency. We, we need to – unity for, for the sake of truth is – is not unity. I know that's a cliche because we as Reconstructionists, we kind of, we stand upon that, that we, we kind of almost add that to the solace, don't we? Like, well, this is a time for us to practice that and to live that out. Unity, unity is so important. We need to be unified with one another, but when it comes to heresy, we cannot. Jesus, Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, the King who has brought all peoples back together. Let me, I said I was going to close, but you know what? I'm fired up right now. And I want us to look at this marriage thing in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, Paul makes the, teaches us that marriage is a proclamation of the gospel. Marriage is a proclamation of the gospel. It's a display of how Christ loves his bride, the church, and how his bride, the church, serves and loves their king, their groom. And we have Kenneth, Kenneth saying that a marriage between two people of this of different skin color is adulterous and illegitimate guys that's borderline blasphemy that to say to say that is to deny the gospel the only way you're not denying the gospel is if you redefine the gospel because paul says that the gospel is seen and displayed through marriage through marriage and that Christ's example is how we are to live in marriage. I am to do everything I can for my wife, for she is my own body. To, to, to kind of quote Martin Lloyd-Jones in his monstrous, oh my gosh, his monster sermon on Ephesians 5. You've got to listen to it if you've never heard um, his sermon on Ephesians 5. But this idea, we must understand that our wives are our own bodies. She is me and I am her. And for someone to come and say that 
a marriage between a black woman and a white man or a black man and a white woman is adulterous, you're denying the gospel. I, I really I don't know how I can be more clear or how I can make that point any stronger. Read Ephesians 5 and then look at a godly... And, and this isn't even... I mean, I, there's an argument out there about different cultures. Um, like Rush, Rush Dooney might have, might have struggled with different cultures getting married. I, I get that. And that's, I don't know enough about that to say that. But this I'm talking about is the idea that two Americans living in the same town who get married, they have different skin colors. It's called adultery. That's calling something that God has said is good. You're calling his good thing evil. That is sin. That is heresy. That is a lie. That is a violation of God's moral law. In Revelation, we see this picture of every tribe and tongue, every type of person coming together and worshiping together, saying in the same language, saying the same thing, praising the lamb, praising the lion, praising God. This is what the gospel does. What does Paul mean when he says in Galatians that there's now no more Jew or Greek, no more barbarian or Scythian, no, no, no more male or female? What does he mean by that? He's not saying that there's no more genders. He's not saying that there's no more d- distinctions. He's saying that it's complete equality. Completely, this, we are one family in Christ. One family in him. Whether you're black or white, whatever your skin color is, matters not. It doesn't matter. Another problem with kinism is that they see that the white race has been called and ordained to be a superior race to conquer for the gospel. Conquer actual peoples. That that's how the gospel, this is why slavery might have been a good thing because these slaves wouldn't have heard the gospel if they weren't captured, if they weren't put on slave ships, if they weren't, if they weren't shown the complete opposite of the gospel, then they would have never heard it. That's really what they're saying. Complete horse poop. Completely ridiculous. There's never justification to violate God's law. There's never justification for, for, for evil. There's, there's just never, there's never a way to do that. There's never a good, there's, good does not come out of that. If, God, if good does come out of it, it's despite it, not because of it. It's despite it. God's grace and his spirit is bigger and more powerful. He shows up even in the broken and even in the evil. It doesn't mean that we are justified in being the ones that do the evil. Come on. I want to definitely close now, I promise. Um, I want to thank you for the opportunity uh, to be a part of Recon Radio. I've, I've watched it from afar for a while. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, I think it's a beautiful light that's needed in this, in this culture. Let us continue, though, to become more beautiful. Let the Spirit move us and work on us. We, we have so much work to do, saints. There's so much to do for Christ and His glory. And we have a lot to do outside of us, but we definitely can't tolerate the dirty inside of us. We have to repent. We have to keep it moving. We have to expose false teachers that are so obvious, like kinism. It's, it's, it's dangerous to the movement, and it needs to be dealt with. So I want to thank you again. Pray for one another. Love, love one another. And don't grow weary while doing good. Grace and peace to you.
Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.